Are you a kiddo who dreams? Kinky dreams? Dreams of wearing pants like the ones you grew up with? Well, golly gee, dream no more. Kinky Dreams specializes in printing cute vintage designs of diaper prints, superheroes, and cartoon characters on adult diapers. These handcrafted pants will leave you feeling your full baby fantasy. If you want to get your grabby hands on one of these one-of-a-kind diapers, make sure to use promo code PLAYTIME for 10% off all Kinky Dreams products. Kinky Dreams, making your little dreams come true. Hello, 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 and welcome to Newsies Nook, a podcast where you can sit and relax while I try not to wet my pants. I am your host, Newsy Baby. Being ABDL can be hard. Most of us develop our ABDL identities alone or from what we see online. And when we have questions, where do we go for answers? Questions like, how do I tell my partner about this kink? How do I cope with jealousy? Where do I fall on the ABDL spectrum? And is it normal to go through a binge purge cycle? This week, I had the honor to talk with Diaper Dad about his web article posts that cover these topics and more. I found his post to be informative and personal, and I think you will too. We also cover a topic that I think does not get talked about a lot. How do I balance this kink if I have kids? So get your stuffy in hand and have a listen to my conversation with Diaper Dad. I actually had a really uh, terrible false start when I first told my wife about uh, my AB Dale side. Um, and the fact that she came across uh, an, uh, a non-closed browser window one morning and uh, unexpectedly woke me up from a dead sleep to ask me about it. And I was very unprepared at the time, this was now a few years ago, um, to answer the question, hey, what's this thing that was on your computer screen? And um, that was kind of the false start, but uh, a year went by after that conversation, after just brushing it off. And I decided, you know, as I was understanding more about myself and my identity in the ABDL community and what it meant to me, that I needed to include her in that conversation and not hide it from her anymore. I am not the world's best when it comes to um, a conversation, like face-to-face or using my words to get my message across all that well, like having some time to think about um, the way that I'd like to say things is really helpful. Uh, And so I was counseled to actually write to my wife in a letter. Um, It was just a small, simple one page letter that I sent to her at a terrible time. She was working one evening and I sent it to her via text message. Uh, That was uh, mistake number two of coming out to my wife. But uh, um, we were able to have a small discussion um, at that point, and that kind of started our uh, conversations together to uh, figure out what this looks like for um, for us, uh, and um, just trying to explain to her who uh, she ha- happens to be very vanilla, um, explain to a vanilla partner what this actually means to me, um, both on a um, both on the like mental health side of things as well as the kink side. Do you think it's important for kinky people to come out on their own terms? So like you said that your wife found out, but do you think it was important that you took time to kind of like get your cards in a row and then come out to her? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. I think that um, across the board, there's well, there's really a couple pieces to the answer. Um, I think that we um, when we have the secret that's really deep inside, but something that also is very important to us, 
we really crave to share that with other people. Um, and that happens to be for people who are partnered or have a significant other, um, that happens to be that person. And you just crave closeness and proximity with that person. Um, but I do think that oftentimes our desire to be known and understood uh, kind of gets in the way of doing it in a healthy, prepared way. Um, as I said, you know, I was very unprepared to have the first conversation a few years ago with my wife. And that's very different now after having spent uh, some time understanding what this means to me um, and getting my own shame and guilt and negativity uh, out of the way uh, so I can actually have a reasonable conversation and explain what it means to me uh, more than just, um, just a kink. Um, and being able to explain some of the language and the verbiage that goes along with it, it does take some self-reflection and some um, time to make sure that conversation goes well, um, even if it doesn't go according to plan, just making sure you have that preparation time ahead of that conversation can be helpful. Right, you, you, you prepare for it and you're able to have it. So you do write in one of your blogs, you know, steps to sharing your ABDL side to loved ones. Can you go over some of those steps that you discovered for yourself? Yeah, so I think the steps, um, they're not standard. Um, there's a few uh, people that talk about uh, steps to sharing this with a loved one. The one that I really like is uh, from Rhoda Lipscomb's uh, new book, You're Not Broken. Um, she's a great figure in the ABDL community in terms of counseling and coaching for um, ABDLs. And uh, a lot of what I wrote in my blog comes from some of her ideas. Uh, and also um, Lo from the Dream a Little podcast, uh, she has uh, some great resources on uh, sharing your ABDL side with a partner, uh, specifically partners that are vanilla and do not take part in your kink. Um, so some of the steps that I wrote on the blog is really more about self-reflection, thinking about, you know, if you're planning to share this, you have to ask yourself the question, why do you want to share it? And why is it so important for you to share that with somebody else? Oftentimes I feel like we're just so starved for community and for people to understand the side of us that um, we sometimes want to share with somebody that we love because it is a way for us to um, kind of bring ourselves out to the open and kind of bring, bring light to an otherwise um, ashamed or shameful situation. Um, but I ask, you know, who do you fully trust? Like, who can you trust to uh, have this conversation with, number one? Um, and this could be a partner, it could be a friend. Um, and then asking yourself the question, you know, is the reason why you're reaching out to this person or the reason why you want to share, is it rooted in expanding or building that relationship um, and improving your um your connection between this other person. Number three, is it um, rooted in you just wanting to share your ABDL side because you uh, feel like you want this out in the open? Or is it because you really want to, you know, build further connection with this person? Um, and then I would think before having a conversation about really deciding on what your goals of the conversation are, 
really establishing what you want to get from that conversation. Um, oftentimes we want to get everything answered right at the um, uh, right in the first conversation. That's just not the way these things go. It really right. is the beginning of many, many conversations to be had. And so uh, setting goals that are realistic can be helpful in uh, not being disappointed if the conversation doesn't go as planned or doesn't go as deep as you would like it to. Um, I would also think about prototyping the conversation. And what I mean by that is kind of going over how the conversation could potentially go and actually verbally out loud going over some of your responses to questions, explaining yourself, going through different language. Um, and then, uh, but not spending forever here either, because I think that um, uh, I am just as susceptible to this, but I tend to go over and over and over conversations in my head and never actually have those conversations. Uh, so not spending forever on prototyping conversations can, can be good to keep in mind that you actually have to talk sooner or later. Um, uh, thinking about sharing the goals that you have with the other person, even before your conversation starts. Um, and then just pursuing that with, with a love filled heart, you know, that you're engaged in building this connection with the other person. You need to breathe, just take a moment and then just let it happen. Um, and, uh, those conversations can go a variety of ways, um, but you can't make or break your decisions on how you think things should go or how they should end up. Uh, you really just have to pursue it. If you feel like you've done the preparatory work beforehand. Was your wife pretty susceptible when you did come out to your ABDL side? Was she like, Oh, how interesting. Or was she kind of like, can you please break this down for me because I don't understand? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, we have uh, come to a better understanding over the course of time. It is still a work in progress. We by no means actually uh, share, you know, a, a um, one hundred percent mutual understanding about what the ABDL world is. Um, when I first uh, um, told her about my ABDL side, it was, like I said, in a point in my life when I was not prepared to have that conversation. And it came out very unilateral in that it was um, a diaper fetish. That was how I just simplified it. And that was not necessarily the whole story of what I wanted to tell her. And it took a long time to get to a point to them writing the letter and then having future conversations where um, I was able to explain to her a little bit more about what the, um, what the AB side of mm -hmm. that world is and some of the regressive aspects and the mental health components that were uh, sometimes even more important than the uh, sexual outlet. So, um, but that took time. Uh, she is still in a period of uh, learning what it means to me and, uh, but she also loves me and wants me to be happy and uh, wants to figure out what this looks like for me and she's interested in it. I think that emotionally it's very hard. Um, for me, it was something that I did not share with uh, my partner until we were years into our marriage. And I think that that uh, set us up for a bit of distrust as well, that there was something that I hid from them. It kind of set us up to have to work through some of the distrust before we could get to an actual conversation. Right. 
But it's also kind of, I can feel you on the other side of kind of like you're learning about this on your own time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not a Disney movie where it's like, all right, I figured out myself. I'm going to get into a relationship and then I'm going to tell you. Sometimes they overlap with each other. Sometimes you start a relationship and you're still figuring out yourself. Do you think it's important that that, would you say it's more important to tell your partner straight off the bat? when they're when you're getting with when you're getting with someone like hey i have this fetish or do you think it's more important to tell them once you understand it yourself yeah that's a great question i i think it's going to vary for every person uh based on what their needs are and what this looks like for them you know if you've met one person in the abdl community you've met one person in the abdl community we're all very different. We're all very individual. We all have our own likes and dislikes. Um, We all share many things in common uh, that others might consider interesting, but um, it's going to be individual. I think that it's very hard to make generalizations about how to uh, share this side with um, an intimate partner or significant other or a friend. Um, It's hard to generalize some of those. aspects. But I do think it's important, like I said, to know yourself first and understand what this means to you before you try to share it with other people. I I think a good place to start with figuring that out yourself is reaching out to the ABDL community, you know, the social media uh, side of the ABDL community is has has grown exponentially over the past few years, even. And there are plenty of people that are willing to have conversations to go through and mentor you and help to uh, figure out what your little side means or what your caregiver side means and what it looks like and what what different variations there are in this lifestyle. Um, but knowing yourself first, I think, is really critical to uh, having a positive conversation. Right. And then, of course, you know, it's so easy to be jealous of abdl couples it's so jealous to see you know meetups online it's so jealous to you know see friends out there if you're if you live in a rural area where there's not a whole bunch Mm -hmm. around how do you how do you navigate jealousy in your relationship yeah i think jealousy is hard um for me having a partner who is not participating in my abdl side um it is um, something that I am personally susceptible to. I do get jealous of uh, couples that are both involved in the kink and um, have the whole lifestyle built around it. I would say, though, that it's important to be mindful of where you're getting that information, too, that if it's on social media, often social media is a very extreme portrayal of reality and is not always true, or at least Uh, it's not 100% reality in many ways. Uh, So you have to check yourself a little bit about where you're getting that information from. But jealousy is real, you know, Um, and it's something that can turn into resentment or uh, anger, frustration against your partner for, you know, that they're withholding something positive from you because this is what you need or what you want. And that can be really tough. And just acknowledging that tough emotion is often the first step, but how do you manage it? Well, you, you have to, again, 
you can come back to yourself in some ways and say, you know, what, what do I have? You know, first of all, there's so much work that can be done internally um, in uh, your identity as an ABDL. There's a lot of internal work to be done about understanding this side about yourself and coming to understand the depth of what it means. Um, but social media, again, you know, it has its downfalls, but I think it can be really positive in terms of, uh, that self-discovery piece and understanding what this means um, to you. But jealousy, resentment, they are definite emotions that that come up. But it's something that's also temporary. You know, it's not something that's that's long lived necessarily, especially if you come back to where your core is and where that um, what this actually means to you. Right. I like what you said that jealousy is a natural thing that if, you know, if you don't fight it and if you just confront it, it kind of makes it easier. And, and if you yeah. and if you can pinpoint what the jealousy is and you ponder on it for a little bit, you can move forward with it. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's about being mindful of what your emotions are and what they're bringing to the table. Um, these are all very natural emotions. We're all going to experience jealousy. We're all going to experience resentment and envy at some point in our lives. It's natural human emotion, but just identifying it and then taking a step back and just acknowledging the fact that the emotion is there uh, can, can be huge at overcoming it and moving on because emotions are temporary. They're not, um, they're uh, not permanent. Right. Do you ever take social media breaks if you feel a sense of like, oh, I'm not enough or, oh, I don't have enough or, oh, I'm not doing enough? Totally. I think social media breaks are very healthy, actually. And we can get so absorbed in social media uh, into the alternate reality uh, that it is. Um, I tend to be very busy in my personal life. So taking social media breaks is possible and I am well occupied elsewhere. But um it can be very helpful if you're getting into this swirl of negative emotions to just take a step back and figure out what is present in front of you. Go outside, enjoy the sunshine. If you live near sunshine, uh, I currently live in a state of gray uh, where, where, where my home is. So, um, but getting somewhere with some sunlight and just enjoying the world can really put things into perspective and to the beauty that's actually there with you. Right. I love that. So let's turn now to, of course, ABDL is such a spectrum, right? We have ABs that love to be babied, or we have DLs that, you know, just like to wear diapers. And it's, and some of the cross betweens are, it can either be a sexual or it can be a lifestyle. What would you categorize yourself when told you're an ABDL? I have always been interested in ABDL related things since I was probably three or four years old at my earliest memory. That's not always true for everybody, so I'm not going to overgeneralize, but that was when I first acknowledged that, hey, I really like diapers. Hey, I really like stealing my brother's pacifier out of his crib. Hey, you know, I like stealing my cousin's diapers from his diaper bag, you know, and I was doing this before it was even a thing, but I always had this fascination with diapers and being babied and some of my like childhood fantasies were to be scooped up by um, my um, my like a family member and just cared for and loved and hugged and uh, cuddled and that was just a beautiful um, moment that I remember but um, I 
actually rejected my AB side for a long time when I was coming to understand this uh, piece of me. And I just didn't want it, but I was so ashamed of it. I had told my parents uh, about my ABDL side when I was in high school. And wow. it did not go over very well. But again, some of my advice on uh, knowing yourself first really plays into that. I don't think everyone should should tell their parents about their ABDL side. But um, I, I told them and it went very negatively. And I, I just developed such incredible shame about my um, ABDL identity. And it took a lot of time to sort through that and work through it. Um, it wasn't until I was probably out of college that I started to acknowledge that I identified as an AB and enjoyed that and actually adopted that, that language to, um, uh, to characterize myself. Um, so as, as far as the spectrum goes, I'm all things ABDL. Uh, I um, am definitely more on the AB side, but diapers are always interesting and fun. Um, love them. We all have our preferences, you know, as fellow DLs, but um, it is, um, I'm definitely all things. Um, I have um, not necessarily engaged in the like caregiver little dynamics, like as like in a play situation or like when you have a meetup or something like that. Although um, that was not my first inclination, although it's quite fun and interesting because that has happened in my life uh, too. But it's, um, I have for the longest time was just doing little space on my own. And um, over time, I have learned that that's okay. And it satisfies the urge or need uh, to engage in that space. Uh, but there's also some joy in companionship too, and engaging in a caregiver little dynamic um, that uh, can be quite different from just engaging in ABDL on your own. Um, but to answer your question, I'm all things on the spectrum. <laughs> Wow, a lot to unpack there. One of the first things sure. that you brought up was, do you think it's important to tell your parents about this? No, I really don't think it's important. I think it's really rooted in in wanting to be wanting to have the depth of yourself known to another person. That is what I think it's rooted in. And often as as adolescents, as young adults, we crave connection, we crave community, we crave someone to understand us at our deepest level. And often the closest people to us at that time are um, our parents or someone that's living in the same house as you, um, parents or otherwise. And it is, um, again, my opinion that it's rooted in a desire to be known by somebody else, to have the depth of yourself known. Right. I've always seen it as you tell the people that you want closest to you, right? Yeah. So like I yeah. tell my partner because I want to be fully transparent with him. I feel like that's a healthy relationship. I have told some vanilla friends because I'm just on that level with them. Right. I've just never told my parents because that's not what our relationship is. That's never been our relationship. I'm not saying we have, I have a bad relationship with my parents. It's just, that's not our relationship. And so I've never, 
I've never told him, told them. And so I kind of like what you said. It's, it's that connection piece. It's like, if you can, if you see it furthering your, your relationship, then you see an avenue to tell them. Exactly. Exactly. Do you think it's important to explore other facets of ABDL, right? You talked about how you've explored your AB side, you've explored your caregiver side. Do you think it's important as someone who identifies as ABDL to explore different facets just to see if they're interested in them or if they're curious about them? Yeah, so I think that some degree of openness is important. And in the kink community, you know, I feel like we are a relatively open crowd of people. Um, but um, I do think it's important to be open-minded. Um, oftentimes, um, at least my, my experience personally, was that a lot of my lack of exploration was rooted in shame and not wanting to acknowledge the fact that I actually like something. Uh, not because it was something that I didn't like, but it was because, you know, society, the world, uh, family, whatever, had told me that that was unacceptable. And so that's where that was rooted in. Um, there are some things that I'm not necessarily interested in, um, but it's because I've actually spent some time thinking about it, you know, and not just had that, um, that first impression, emotional response, and then rejected it, you know, it's because you actually spend some time thinking about it. But I do think being open is important, you know, and uh, in romantic, intimate relationships, I think openness is important, especially if you come up to a conversation where your partner tells you something that may not be something that you were considering, or um, something that you're not interested in. Uh, but you kind of, it's a two-way street, right? You have to, um, if you want acceptance from somebody else, you also have to think about how accepting you are to somebody else's interest. And um, that, 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 that can be done in a tactful, uh, compassionate way, I think, even if the ultimate conclusion is that uh, those interests don't match up. Uh, but having an open discussion and being compassionate can be helpful. Right. Yeah, right. You have to be open to both what you're giving and what they're receiving and yeah, what they're exactly. responding to. Let's turn now. You you write about your kids in your blog. So tell mm -hmm. me about balancing kids and this kink. How do you, how do you do it? Um, it is very tough uh, for the parents that are listening to this uh, show. Um, I'm with you uh, through thick and thin, and uh, I have compassionate empathy for what you're going through. Um, there's a lot to unpack in terms of being a parent in the ABDL world. Um, the first of which is you have to pick through the fact that, you know, you have children and you're also interested in your children's items, you know, uh, so there's a lot there. Um, what I found, though, as a parent is that my ABDL side and my parent side in real life are actually quite different. When I'm in dad mode, I'm dutiful and I'm in dad parent mode. I'm not in daddy mode. There's a difference there between the two. And, um, you know, changing my kids diapers is very different from um, uh, an ABDL situation. Uh, very, very different mindset. Uh, it's a different mental space. Um, and so acknowledging 
that was also really helpful. Like when someone asked me this question, how, how do you deal with being a parent and also liking diapers? Well, um, my kids' diapers are just not the same as, you know, my favorite ABDL diaper. Uh, so, um, it's just a very different headspace, bottom line. Um, in terms of kids, though, the next piece is that you have a window as an ABDL into your kid's perspective on the world. I think that for many ABDLs, you, we, we really see the world in a different way. We experience the world in a different way, especially when we're engaging that little space. And it offers me as a parent, as a dad in real life, the chance to see the world through my kids' eyes and understand what's upsetting them or what is bothering them or um, uh, what's making them happy. Um, I am known in my family and extended family as the baby whisperer, not because I'm a good caregiver, but because I've got this ABDL side underneath that just gives me a different perspective. And I've always been known to my extended family as that, that, that type of individual. Um, so I bring that as a strength to the table with my kids. Um, it also offers a chance bringing an ABDL identity into parenthood is that you can be a great playmate to your kids. You know, if you're in a good space, you can get down on the floor and wrestle and uh, play games and enjoy things at a different level than people that are stuck in the big world, you know? Um, and that is just a real joyous piece that I love um, bringing these two worlds together. Um, there is obviously a difference between, you know, the big time, big um, mental space and the little space um, because my kids are not exposed to my kink life, uh, which I don't think they should be. You know, what happens in the bedroom stays in the bedroom and they're not gonna be exposed to that. Um, regardless of what it is, ABDL or not. Um, it includes, you know, serious conversations between my wife and I. We're not going to share that with our kids necessarily. It's not appropriate. But um, um, they are in some ways getting the gift of having a parent that understands the world the way they do. And I think that that's really beautiful. Um, in terms of time, that would be the third aspect that I think is really challenging. So as a full-time parent, um, uh, especially during COVID, which has been an, another layer of complexity for the past uh, two years. But um, having the time to both parent, work full time, you know, take care of your relationship with your spouse, and then have your little space intact uh, is quite challenging. Um, and I encourage people who are in that situation to find just little tidbits of time uh, that you need to engage that space. And, you know, it started for me as actually sitting down and saying, how many minutes, how many hours do I need in a week to make this reasonable to me? Uh, or to feel like I can get, get through without feeling like I'm deprived. And um, what I found is that, you know, once or twice, maybe three times a week or so is a good time after the kids go to bed. Uh, my wife and I have our, about an hour where we just kind of do our own thing and she enjoys her, her book and a bubble bath and I enjoy little time. And that's just how we've grown to use our hour 
time uh, in between kids going to bed and us going to bed. So uh, that's been helpful. But again, that's very limited amount of, of time. There are often some times interspersed that are a little bit longer in duration. And those can be quite beautiful and something to look forward to when you have those opportunities to engage a little bit longer in the little headspace. Um, but as a as a parent of kids under the age of 10, even, uh, it is, it is quite, quite tough. Right. Right. And I can totally understand why it's hard to talk about, but what I'm getting from you is it's all about intention. Yeah. Right. Like your kids are your kids, but you bring up a good point that you're able to tap into the inner child and, and play with, and, you know, understand them at a kid's level with the inner child, but your intention is to be in parent. And when you're in little mode, your intention is to be, be your own child, right? You're, you are mm -hmm. in your own space and you separate those and you're able to be the adult to separate those. Um, in your blog, you talk about how you have to find time in your adult life to be little, what are some things that you can do as an adult to be little? I think that there are a lot of acceptable, socially acceptable ways to engage your little side in the big world, bottom line. Um, there are plenty of people that enjoy wearing certain bright colors or Disney shirts or graphic t-shirts from Target or what what have you um, that are not on the ABDL spectrum. And that is perfectly socially acceptable. But what I get from wearing my Pixar Lilo and Stitch shirt is that that engages the little side of me, even though nobody actually cares that I'm wearing a graphic t-shirt with a cartoon character on it. Um, there are ways that I have had to, you know, especially since my kids were born, that, you know, I've had to engage the little space in the big world in a way that is meaningful to me, uh, but um, it's still socially acceptable. So some things that I personally do, uh, so I share an office at work with a few other people but um, in my desk, if you were to open the cabinet, there are uh, stuffed animals in my cabinet okay. and there are different um, cartoon calendars and things like that, that, you know, I just pick up random toys or things like that. And I keep them in my cabinet and they're on display and people think, oh, that's really cute. You know, that you have a grumpy cat stuffed animal. Um, and that's, that's just interesting. But to me, it, that's the little side of me that is still, you know, engaged in the world. Um, some fun things that a, a friend of mine has recommended, um, and I write about this in my blog, there's, there's actually a list of things and I give credit uh, to him for including some of these things, but um, something, you know, something like adult coloring books, are very socially acceptable, but are also incredibly beneficial to little space, small crafts and activities from, from the craft section of the department store. You know, you, you can watch cartoons in your own time uh, with or without your own children. You know, it's uh, been a nice time with my own kids to watch plenty of Encanto and Frozen and nobody cares um, because you're just doing it with your kids. But uh, playing video games, going to different 
kid-oriented activities like the zoo or playgrounds or uh, the children's museum or whatnot. Um, actually, like getting on a swing at the playground, uh, we we often forget that you know just getting on a playground swing can be so beneficial to the body from a sensory experience, but also just engaging that little side. Um, um, also, like for the guys in the room, if you imagine going into a public restroom and you've got urinals and stalls, right? So you can go into a stall and one of the most little things that I can do in a public restroom is to like pull my pants down around my ankles and use the bathroom like that, right. because yeah. that's what you did when you were a little boy, right? Um, and so that's something, again, nobody knows you're doing that, but it still engages that little side when you're in the big world. So again, there, there's probably a litany of things that you could do uh, to help engage that space, um, even if you're not, you know, um, wearing a diaper, let's say, in public, uh, which, which is acceptable for many too, but Right. And it all goes back to intention, right? Like there's such right. a, there's such a fear of, oh, I don't want to tread upon, you know, a child space, but at the mm -hmm. core of it, your intention isn't right. You're just trying to right. feed that inner child, right? Like if you've ever yeah. taken, if you've ever listened to RuPaul's Drag Race, he's always talking about like, you have to shake hands with your inner child. You have to, you have to confront, you know, that inner child inside of you. And for a lot of us ABDLs, it is that it is that experience. It, it is confronting our child and saying like, okay, what, what happened? What can I, what can I do better? I know for me personally, confronting, um, you know, confronting my inner child is wearing a Star Wars t-shirt to, to work, you know, wearing right. a Star Wars t-shirt to work, or it's um, in my emails, I've known to say okays, O-C-O-K-I-E-S. And people just know it as playful, but to me, it you know, it allows me to show that side of my personality. I have a very childish personality, and it comforts me that I'm able to, you know, in a professional setting, do that. And I think it's very helpful for our mentality if we're able to not separate those two, but find ways to marry those and see okay, I can do this in a, an adult setting and it's true to me and it's okay to society. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And one of the aspects that I think you bring up that's important is the concept of this being a part of your personality. Um, and for many ABs, it is, a, it is, our little side is a piece of our personality. It's, it's part of who we are. And by rejecting that and kind of adopting to what is quote socially acceptable can be quite limiting um, to that aspect of ourselves. And it over time, the more you repress that, the more you realize that um, you're missing out on an entire piece of who you are as a person and what you can, what, what strengths and what joy you actually bring to the world through those experiences. Um, and it can be quite devastating to repress that over many years. Right, right. No, I was thinking on the way home one day, how being newsy as my ABDL persona has allowed me to see things differently. Mm -hmm. And I bring that into being, I won't say my real name, but you know, who I am as an adult, right. like I'm able to see like, oh, like newsy can do that. 
I can do that in a different way. It allows you to know yourself better. It's all—it's almost like looking in a mirror almost like, oh, you know, this is how Newsy sees the world. I really wish my real self could see that world in the same way. And you're able to kind of have that mental, whatever it's called. I don't, I've never taken a psychology class, but you know, it's, it's interesting to see that. And I like how you play upon that, which brings me to my other question is how important is it to find little time when you are a fully functioning adult? Yeah, I think for ABDLs, um, it is incredibly important to find that time to engage at some point. Um, my personal experience has been that there have been times in my life where I can repress my ABDL side for sometimes weeks or even years at a time. Uh, that was happening back when I was in college and early adulthood and whatnot. But um, I, I have found that the more frequently you're engaging up to the time that you need and everyone's criteria for engagement is very different. Um, I have a different need for like frequency of engaging in this space than somebody else does. And that's okay. But I do think it's important to engage this at some point. There are often some warning signs. I feel like that if you're not engaging this side enough that kind of come to the surface. Um, one of which is um, obsessive thoughts sometimes about the ABDL world. Um, I find that my emotions and my emotional responses to ABDL thoughts or topics or conversations are, are quite different if I'm engaged in those spaces on a more frequent basis. And then I'm not fantasizing all the time about uh, an ABDL experience, or I can actually be more focused and present with, um, with my regular life. I found that my relationship with my wife is actually much improved whenever I more frequently engage in my ABDL side in that I'm not obsessing about, uh, the little side as much that I'm more even keeled at this point. I can more engage and um, a spousal relationship if that aspect of me is is met. Um, I can also engage in my work life a little bit more easily and focus a little bit better. Um, it really has has helped me personally keep my mental health in check. Um, and I find that if I'm not engaging in that on a frequent basis, then my mental health goes goes downhill. Um, there's a lot of anxiety. Um, there can be depression in this world for sure, um, especially in light of a global pandemic. And um, it sometimes correlates to how frequently you're engaged in the little space. Right. No, you bring up an you bring up a great point on how I think this pandemic did one of two. It did two things both good and bad. It allowed a lot of people to sit with themselves and say, what is this kink? Do I enjoy this kink? How do I engage with this kink? A lot of people explore different facets of this kink. I know for me and myself, I explored messing. It is a wonderful experience that I probably wouldn't have explored outside of the pandemic, right? I didn't have time to myself to explore it, but I'm glad that I did. But I think another thing that it brought up is it it allowed you to sit with yourself because everyone else was sitting with themselves. But now that we're coming out of this pandemic, it's really easy to get depression from 
other people meeting with each other, right? Like during the pandemic, we just sat with ourselves. But now that we're coming out of this pandemic, other people are meeting, other people are having all these opportunities. You talk about a lack of opportunities, whether it be uh, environmental, right, where you live, or whether it be in your relationship situation, right? You have a wife and kids, so you can't just be like getting up and going and having an ABDL meetup. So how do you how do you navigate quote unquote, those lack of opportunities. Yeah, I think that you have to, there is a certain level of priorities, I think, in your life. Um, And the first priority for me is my wife and children. And that priority is first and foremost for me. Um, In addition to, you know, having having employment and um, being able to pay our bills. Uh, But my wife and children are my first priority and AVDL definitely takes a second seat uh, to my priority. Um, And so there's, there's an understanding, at least for me internally, that ABDL is not my primary uh, goal of waking up in the morning that, you know, I have set my own priorities based on my life choices to um, engage with my wife and my children first and um, ABDL will come second to that. Um, it, it's not to say that there are not opportunities to engage in that space. I think that for people that are busy, let's say your parents, your full-time um, or if you have a full-time job that, you know, you work 40 to 60 hours a week, you don't have a lot of free time. Again, finding those small times to engage on an individual basis can be really helpful. And then looking forward to the times that you do have to engage on a little bit more of a like interpersonal basis with let's say another ABDL at a play date or something, or even going to a convention. Um, those can be great things to look forward to. Um, and engaging socially with the community. Um, It's easier, I would say, for people that live in large metropolitan areas with um, access to social munches and um, different local communities that meet. It's definitely easier for those people, but at the same time, there are lots of lonely ABDLs in large metropolitan areas too. Uh, it's not that just the presence of a large area makes makes you engage with your community. I think it's much, much deeper than that. Um, again, I'll go back to an earlier point is that social media can be incredibly helpful for engaging with the community on a meaningful basis. Um, um, almost 100% of the ABDLs that I know have come from social media and engaging with people's content and discussing with them and learning from them, being mentored by them. And um, it's just provided a great opportunity to reach out to others in a time where we're not able to be face-to-face all the time, but then looking forward to opportunities that there are to be in person together and enjoying those moments when they come. Right. It's all about prioritizing what you want and kind of mm-hmm. being being an adult. So, quote unquote, and just sitting down and be like, all right, what do I what do I want? You know, do I want right. the exactly. job and the kids and the and the wife or the partner? Or do I want to be a full time baby? You know, mm-hmm. both are laid out in front of you, but you are the yeah. only one to make that decision. You know, this is the ABDL community can't make that for you. You have to right. make that decision and whatever you choose, that is your truth. And- it's completely acceptable either way. You just have to decide what, 
what is going to be your priority for first and foremost. And things can have equal priority. That's okay too. But being a full-time baby and uh, having a spouse, a partner, and children, those things are often not compatible with each other, <laughs> bottom line. Um, there are plenty of couples out there that that live a ABDL lifestyle, and that's also acceptable within the confines of a good conversation uh, be between the two of them. But again, you have to figure out where ABDL is going to sit in your life and what you personally need from it. And this goes back to that self-reflection piece that you need to know yourself. You need to know what you need from this, what it what, what it brings to you and how that's going to integrate with um, some of your life choices. Right. Exactly. So I haven't asked this, but how do you find that it's hard to make friends in this community if you aren't looking for something sexual? Yeah, I think that's a good question. So the ABDL community is really rooted in kink, right? It, um, many people identify this as a kink, but there are plenty of people that don't identify their ABDL side with kink. Um, I think that um, there, in my personal experience, more people have the sexual aspect to ABDL uh, than don't. Um, but it's pretty clear who is interested in sexual encounters and who is not, uh, often very quickly after you meet somebody. Um, and um, those conversations I think are important to have. Again, knowing what you want from a social exchange going in uh, can be very meaningful. I don't personally think it's hard to make friends with people that are not looking for a sexual encounter or some sort of um, romantic ABDL relationship or whatnot. I don't think it's difficult to do that. Um, but it's important to have those conversations pretty early on when you do meet people about what your goals are for your um, sending someone a message or reaching out to them. I find that when I reach out to someone uh, on social media, that having that goals conversation really early can be helpful. Like what, what am I looking for? Well, my purpose in engaging with folks on social media is to build my community and build my friend circle of ABDLs that I know and um, uh, can mentor me and I can speak into their lives. And I'm really interested in building friendships and community first and foremost. Uh, I'm not interested in, you know, a relationship or, you know, moving halfway across the country uh, to leave my family behind for an ABDL lifestyle. Um, and I tend to bring that up early in conversation, uh, just so it's clear. Right, right. You have to be clear in the in the beginning, even though, and I think that's the problem with I'm, I'll just generalize hookup apps, right? Like mm -hmm. I feel like I talk to a lot of people on Diaper Boys. I don't know if you're on Diaper Boys, but I'll message people saying, what are you looking for? And the, usually the response is, I'm up for anything, which then pits you in a very awkward position because you're like, well, I'm personally looking for either, you know, A, a sexual partner to engage in sexually with diapers, or you're looking for a friend. And right. And then, you know, it almost sets you up for failure because right then you'll meet up with this person and you'll do something and you're like, oh, that's, that's not what you wanted. Or, oh, that's, you wanted this, but you said this, right? So I think you bring up a very good point on like, 
you almost have to sit down with yourself and say like, what do I want? What do, what do I want out of this engagement? And you can be as blunt or honest as you want, right? Like sometimes I know for me, I'm in an open relationship. And so sometimes I do want a sexual partner with a diaper. And I've had that discussion with my partner and that is okay with my partner, but I have to be honest with the person I'm engaging with. And obviously for you, you're like, I want to make friends. I have to say that on the first encounter, I want to be friends. Exactly. Exactly. And it again, goes back to this point we've made over and over is that you have to ask yourself the question about what do you want? What does this mean to you? What are you interested in? And coming to the table, coming to a social exchange with that knowledge in hand. Right, exactly. But of course, and it brings me to my next question is over the course of being in in ABDL, sometimes a purge happens, right? Sometimes life hits you in the face and you're like, you know what, I don't really want to wear diapers anymore, or I don't really want to identify with this. You've talked about in your blog that you've purged $1,800 worth of ABDL products. And yes, I know as someone who values the values currency that kills my soul because I'm like one of those people that will only buy diapers once I'm out of diapers. I could never see Mm -hmm. myself purging that much money. What advice do you give to people who are going through a purge cycle? Yeah. So let me clarify. It was not $1,800 at one time. It was a it, it, it was a culmination of multiple purges. Um, okay, there you go. So, yeah, so, um, but over, over a relatively short amount of time, uh, let's just put it that way. Um, so the binge purge cycle has been talked about a lot and not every ABDL really engages in the binge purge cycle. Um, but I found for myself, and this may be true for other people that I tended to binge or collect or purchase a lot of ABDL stuff uh, when I was feeling particularly down or depressed or upset or sad about something. And I have repressed the ABDL side for a certain amount of time. Um, Again, repression of that side of me was rooted in a lot of shame. And from my early experience with telling my parents that went poorly. And I just felt like for some reason, this was just something broken inside of me that I had to, that it was wrong to engage in. And that if I enjoyed it and indulged in it for a short time, I was done for that moment. And then the urge passed. And then all the thoughts came in that said, well, you know, that was a terrible mistake that you made, like wearing that diaper and like, buying all this stuff on Amazon and whatnot, you need to, you need to repent from, from your sins and throw everything away because then you're a good person for like coming back to the light. Um, And that's, (laughs) it sounds ridiculous, but that was the thought process that I went through over and over and over and over again. Um, Again, repressing the thought, repressing the feeling that you need this binging, having shame, and resentment and just this feeling of failure and then trying to do good again by throwing everything away and uh, then going on that cycle of repressing everything again and then binging and it's just this vicious cycle um it wasn't until i started engaging with some of the conversations about acceptance for myself 
that I stopped the binge purge cycle. And this has only happened in the past three and a half to four years or so, even after I was married and um, had kids. And it was something that something clicked three and a half, four years ago or so, where I finally said, no, even if I could take a magical pill to get rid of ABDL in my life, I probably wouldn't do it because I actually like it that much. And it, it was that realization that this is not going away, that it's not something that, that makes me broken. Um, it's not something that is negative or hurts anyone. And just going on that self-acceptance journey, um, I never threw anything away again. And it was just a very all or nothing situation where I went from years of binge purge to absolutely nothing. And I've not thrown anything out since. Um, wow. Um, and that journey again was my own. It's not for everyone, but I do think binge purge is related in that repression shame um, cycle that is very difficult to break if you don't have some guidance. Right. And they, and, they, and you know, you brought up a good point. And as you were talking, I thought of other points of how they could be influenced by a lot of things, right? Like the binge purge could be influenced by yourself, right? You're go, you're, you are going through a, a deep point and buying mm -hmm. stuff will fill that void the same way that sometimes food yep. will fill that void for a lot of sure. people. And then on the same point, if, you know, to relate this is sometimes, right, you're on a good diet or something and you'll mess up and then you're like, well, I already fucked up, so I guess I'll keep going, right? And then you're eating more food, and then you're eating more unhealthy. Exactly. Yep. But then sometimes you'll even, you'll, you know, you'll be conscious of it, and you're like, oh, I have to purge everything. So then you stop yep. eating, right? I'll, I'll relate this to food, because that's a big thing in my life right now, is, you know, you'll stop eating, and then that's even unhealthy, right? Because now mm -hmm. you're not, con now you're not having a conversation with your inner child. Now you're not having a conversation with yourself. And so now you feel weird and disgusted. And so you're, you're isolating yourself even more. And when you were talking, I also thought about how like social media, right? You can have these, you, you can look on social media and be like, oh, look at, they have all these new diapers. They have these new onesies. They're having all these, all these experiences. I don't have those maybe I'll purge because I don't live up to this expectation where in actuality, it should be more of like, look at what you have. Look at what you look at what you have in your corner or look at what you're doing for yourself. You can get into a vicious cycle of always having to keep up with the Joneses, you know, where, you know, the mark of a positive um, fulfilled ABDL lifestyle is exactly what you see on the internet. And that's not always true. Right. Um, it, it really, the mark of success is like how you're feeling and how engaged you are with some of your own needs and what, what, what this lifestyle brings you on a personal level. It's not about keeping up with other people. It's not about getting more likes than so-and-so it's about how are you feeling fulfilled and engaged in this? And how does it help you be a better person and be more engaged with your world? Right. And at the core of that is speaking to that child within ourselves. And that, exactly. that is a very difficult conversation, depending on how you're approaching it or what has happened in your life. But as long if if you're able to have that conversation, then you can start being like, okay, I have this, I'm comfortable with this. 
-hmm. I can gauge in my adult baby self in real life if I do this. And that's what brings me comfort. And that's true to myself. Mm -hmm. At the core of it, what I'm hearing from you is be true to yourself and don't compare yourself and you'll be just fine. Exactly. Last question. How important is it to seek community? You know, you talked about how when you're engaging with people online, it's finding friends. How important is it to find community to you? I think, to me personally, I think it's one of the core ways that we build acceptance of ourselves and the ABDL world. Um, that has been my personal experience. Again, I'm not trying to overgeneralize, but I think community is incredibly important and paramount to one's self-acceptance. And community can look a lot of different ways. It doesn't mean that you have 50 close ABDL friends. It may mean that you open up to one particular person and you have deep, meaningful conversations with that person. Community to me means knowing yourself on a deep level to be able to be authentic with yourself and to be true to yourself and to um, uh, actually acknowledge what all of this means to you. Um, I think community is a nice mechanism by which we can build acceptance of ourselves and to fight against some of the shame and negativity that's so common in this world. Um, just having people to speak truth into your life that you're not broken you're not um you're not you're not a bad person <laughs> for liking what you do um and having people to speak into your life like that can be uh so liberating and empowering to um coming to the next chapter of that acceptance. And that's what you're going to give to the community and what you're going to bring to the world and what you have to offer, what strengths you have. Um, but it starts with that inner journey. Right. And there's not really a, a uh, archetype to being ABDL, right? Like, yes, no. you could look at social media and see who has the most followers, but at the core of it, you know, kinks, of themselves are very personal mm -hmm. to the person that they're connected to. And we all engage in them, you know, differently. And so, you know, you could get depressed comparing yourself to someone like, oh, you know, I don't engage in this kink that way, but it looks like that's successful. But like, in actuality, it should be find what find how ABDL paints your picture mm -hmm. and find people who paint the same way you do. And that's the community that you have to tap into. It could be one person, it could be five people, but as long as you're tapping into the people that are painting the same way you do in this kink, I think that that's where you find the comfort and that's when you can talk to your inner child and that's when you, you know, you, you're able to explore more about yourself. And you realize that you're not alone, you know, for- right sometimes one of the first times in your whole life, you, you actually realize that you're not alone, that there are other people out there um, that, you know, enjoy the same weird stuff that you do. <laughs> um, there's, um, so I have a, a, a short story, but um, when I was younger, I um, had a stutter 
And that was something that I took with me through early college. And I, it wasn't until I was in college that I actually met another person who stuttered for the first time at a speech therapy clinic that I was at. Uh-huh. And um, I equate some of that experience similarly to the ABDL world that you realize when you meet somebody else that, that, that knows this deep experience that you have had, um, there, there is no other feeling than being and having the depth of that experience known by somebody else where you don't have to explain yourself to them. Like I didn't have to explain to this other person who stuttered my experience with like shame and embarrassment of speaking in front of class or um, getting up in front of people and talking or doing public speaking or whatnot, or even introducing myself, like just saying my name uh, was one of the hardest things. I didn't have to explain all of that to them because they just got it. Um, it's very similar in the ABDL world. You meet somebody else, you start to have this conversation and you realize, oh my gosh, like they know who I am. Like they just get it. And it's just wonderful. And that, that feeling that you get again is being known, uh, at your core and having someone really understand that experience. And that's really the, the true community that I'm trying to get at is that it's, having other people who know you and um, you can engage some of the deepest parts uh, that you don't necessarily bring to the surface all the time. Um, But it can be quite empowering to move you forward in uh, what the uh, journey of self-acceptance looks like. Right. Just don't get too excited, right? Like don't message a person being like, I love wetting myself and shitting myself. Don't you too? And it's like, whoa, wait, wait, hold up. Like let's be adults and dive into this pool one step at a time you actually have to have a conversation you know actually introduce yourself and uh you know acknowledge that you're an actual human being (laughs) right exactly (laughs) one of the things you bring up in one of your blog posts is um you know a lot of us when we get into the space we want to be cared for right we want a caregiver and Mm -hmm. stuff sure and you bring up that sometimes you don't need a caregiver and you wrote about how, what does that mean to you Mm. if you don't need a caregiver? And I resonated with that a whole lot because when I'm in my little space, yes, the idea of a caregiver means a lot, but I've never really been able to resonate, resonate with that. You know, my, my boyfriend will try to caregive for me, but sometimes I'm kind of like, ah, throws me out of it Mm -hmm. and and when you brought up how like you brought up in your blog post like you know what does that say about me when I don't need a caregiver I was like oh my gosh he's reading my mind so can you please (laughs) talk to me about that oh gosh I wish I have uh processed this thought a little bit more because I think it's so complicated you know um this this concept kind of came up uh after I went to a therapist that wanted to fix my ABDL side. Um, and we were doing these meditations of, you know, the inner child and how I visualized myself as a baby and, um, all of those meditations, I was just reflecting on myself being alone. And, um, that, that was okay in many ways. And I felt like for the longest time, uh, being in little space on my own was completely acceptable. And I kind of got 
I engage with that space just, just fine. And it, um, I don't necessarily need the caregiver to fulfill that need in me personally. And it's one of the ways that my wife and I have really engaged in the conversation is she asked me, she's like, well, what do you need from me? And I was like, you know, I really don't need anything from you. I just need you to acknowledge that this is, this is a thing. Um, and we can, we can kind of move on from there. But um, it's not that I always wouldn't care about a caregiver dynamic. I think that over time, I've kind of grown to realize that that would also be kind of fun. And I've had some of those opportunities. Um, and it's, it's fine, but it's not necessarily the only way that I'm fulfilled necessarily. So um, there's maybe a little different side of the conversation though, in that I feel like my big side and my adult side is much more attuned to opposing like intimacy with other people. Like it's not my normal thing. Like I get very like sensory averse to physical touch and um, intimate situations when I'm in my big space, but my little space is very different. Like I actually enjoy cuddling and, you know, having close intimate moments. Um, but that's not where my big space is. And so I feel like sometimes when those worlds clash or when the big side is trying to win over, then I just get kind of opposed to that caregiver side. Um, but it's also changed slightly, you know, when I contemplate some of this is that, you know, that, that might actually be nice, but again, it's not necessary. Um, that's it's kind of tough. I don't have it completely worked out of my head at all. Um, but, um, yeah, no, that's totally fine. No, you know, it's such, it's such a poignant question because I resonate it with, with it too. And hopefully people that also resonate with this question, because it is a very particular question, right? It's a, it's a question that's basically asking like, are you comfortable with having a caregiver caregive you? Mm-hmm. And I know for me personally, it's what you talked about, right? It comes in moods. It comes sure, in sometimes sure. my sometimes my partner wants to care give care give for me, and I'm not in that headspace. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that says about me. It probably says nothing. Maybe it says a whole lot of things. I don't know. But it took me a while to you know figure out in my head like you know there are some times where I don't want to be care -gived mm -hmm. when I'm in a little space. But then there are times that I do. And for a long time, I thought of myself as a crazy person because I was like, well, I need to choose. And finally, one day when I was talking to my therapist, I was like, I don't need to choose. You know, I just need to acknowledge when I want it and vocalize when I want it. Right. And to acknowledge that there's probably two different um, clashing, you know, perspectives there and that's okay to have both in play uh at at different times but again like actually acknowledging where you are and verbalizing that I think is huge um there's another piece of it that I feel like for me personally I have a real hard time being vulnerable to other people and um on a physical basis I don't necessarily enjoy being physically vulnerable to other people. Um, I like to be very self-sufficient and independent and um, take care of myself and do everything for myself. And um, 
even being vulnerable to the point of someone taking care of me is just very off-putting sometimes, but it's rooted in my own um, kind of childhood pain of having to be independent and having to grow up really fast and having to uh, take care of everything, including myself when everything else was not going well, you know? Um, and so that is probably playing at least in my own experience into it is just this kind of negative aspect of wanting to be independent and not vulnerable to other people or um, needing other people to care for me that I'm self-sufficient. Right. And it takes that level of self-awareness to kind of be like, oh, that's what's happening, right? Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to paint it bad or good. You just have to know what's happening. And I know for me, that was the most enlightening part was that I was acknowledging like, oh, I don't need a caregiver at this point. Even though, right, social media might tell me like, oh, you're wearing a diaper and you're in a onesie and you're sucking your thumb. You should have a caregiver. It's like, no, you don't, you know, I just need to acknowledge that that's not what I need at this mo moment. And I don't need to feel bad about it. Yep. I, right. And because when you get into the negative self-talk, it just goes into the vicious cycle of um, feeling bad about the situation or being told that your experience is less valid than somebody else's. Um, and we tend to project our own needs or our own, um, uh, our own fantasies sometimes on other people and say, you know, if you are not doing X, Y, and Z, and therefore you're not an adequate ABDL, uh, you know, and that's not necessarily the the point at all the point is that everyone comes in with their own needs and what what is fulfilling to them and asking yourself the question what do you get from this can be helpful in figuring out what that looks like um yeah all right question. two last two last questions first last question um so you have a partner i have a partner does she ever tell you kind of like, you have such crazy moods when it comes to this kink? Because mine does. Mine's always like, you either oh, want to be babied or sometimes you want to be big and I can never figure out what it is. Um, so I would say that my partner and I, my wife and I, we, we do not actually talk about my little side together. Okay. Um, it's, it's something that we have acknowledged that it's kind of my own thing and we don't really talk about it unless I bring it up. Uh, so it's just a mutual understanding. Um, but on moods though, she definitely asked me, she's like, oh my gosh, you're in such a good mood. Like, can I bottle this up and like put it somewhere? Because you're just like, you're just great. You know, this is awesome. I really like, I was like, well, you know, I've actually had multiple days in a row of little space and it's actually catered to my mental health and it's a good thing. And uh, that can be a fun um, exchange. And she's like, okay, well, you can bring out the stuffed animal anytime you want. This is great. <laughs> so not to get deep and you don't have to get deep, but do you wish there were times where she would engage in it more? Sure. Sure. And I think it's a work in progress, you know, and there's a, uh, you know, when we agreed to get married, we promised each other our entire lives. And if this takes our whole lives, it's probably still not going to be done. And that's okay because it's a journey. Um, but making progress is really the, the ultimate desire. Uh, and that we're not stagnant, we're not accepting the status quo, but actually moving 
moving forward and engaging with each other um, and engaging each other intimately and closely and really asking the hard, vulnerable, emotional questions and making forward progress. That's the point. It's not about the goal. It's about the journey. And then hopefully I'm not repeating myself, but are there times where you wish she could be more engaged and have you vocalized that? In terms of her engaging with the little side or the ABDL side in general, like as a partner? Yeah, not not diving too deep, but are there any times where you're like, I wish you would just tell me to put on a diaper or I wish there were times where you would just like pat my pat my padded padded bottom, yeah, you know, sure. things of that, that sort. Sure. Um, yeah, I think that's been kind of part of our conversations is that, you know, acknowledgement of this can be so life-giving when you're in a situation where you've got one partner who engages in the ABDL and the other's uh, partner does not or doesn't come from a kink standpoint. Um, so yes, I would say that acknowledgement and um, more frequent observation of different things could be very helpful. Um, but I'll reiterate again that it's a work in progress and having conversations uh, that don't stop with just, I like diapers um, and progresses more um, in an attempt to explain what this means to you. I'm kind of getting my words mixed up here. But um, the answer to your question is, yes, I think there are times where I would like her to engage more or acknowledge my ABDL side more directly. But it's not to say that we aren't having conversations about how to engage that more regularly and to um, uh, help her understand what that engagement and acknowledgement means to me and how it kind of satisfies um, some of that um, desire of mine to be known by her um, as an intimate partner. Wow. And then last, final last question, I swear, um, <laughs> just because it's, it's such a poignant thing and it doesn't get yeah. talked about a lot. So I think we should hit it one more time is how do you, how do you balance kids and this kink, you know, I've, I've talked to a few people that, you know, it's, 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 it's a point of, it's a point that they think about a lot and you seem like you have some experience in it. What's, what's like a, what's a piece of advice you can give them? Yeah. So for the parents out there, especially if you have multiple children and even more so if they are significant ages apart, um, you you have signed up for a long commitment to your children first and foremost, and that's important to consider. But on the same hand, you have to acknowledge your little side or your ABDL side and figuring out small ways to engage that side of you in the midst of parenthood takes some time. It takes some, some trial and error, but it can be done. And I think it's really necessary to engage that side, even if it looks different than it might before you had kids, or even when your kids are older and have moved out. Um, 
I have plenty of friends that um, in the community who have older children and their ABDL life looks much different now that their kids are out of the house. And um, that that is okay. <laughs> but um, the advice I have is that you do not have to sacrifice your ABDL side completely when you have children. It's not mutually exclusive. You can have both. You can acknowledge both, although it takes some creativity. You do not have to, and I don't recommend completely repressing your ABDL side when you become a parent, but rather trying to integrate it into um, your identity as a parent, uh, like I have in relating to my kids and finding those small bits of time that you can engage outside of you. I do think it's important to keep both at the same time. Quick follow-up question. Is it important to disclose you have kids when you're talking to other ABDLs? Not necessarily. Um, if it come, I've been fairly open about having children because I think it really plays into my identity as an ABDL as well. Um, in that I have a little side and I have a caregiving side and my caregiving side came as a result of me being a dad in real life. Uh, my username diaper dad is kind of a product of all of those things and that it acknowledges my little side, but also acknowledges the fact that I have the caregiver side, but I'm also a dad in real life. So multiple identities in one there. Um, I don't think it's important to acknowledge like on a social basis unless it comes up in conversation. But I think that for me personally and in writing some of my blog, which um, was more personal therapy for myself and I'm glad people are reading it. Um, it offers a chance to talk about some of the harder conversations about how to integrate multiple identities into one that is a parent and that is an ABDL and that is a spouse or um, and how to make all those things work together. We don't have all the answers, but we can at least engage the conversation and figure out collaboratively how to move forward in a healthy way. Right. So what I'm hearing is it's a it's a deep conversation with yourself and how much you want to be open. Exactly. All right. Thank you, Diaper Dad, for coming to Newsy's Nook and talking with me. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Thank you. Bye. All right, kiddos, before we go, don't forget Diaper Active at the Bullet Bar is April 30th in the Los Angeles area. The theme is pink versus blue. Which team are you? More details can be found in the show notes. All right, kiddos, I'm leaking all over the place and stinking up the house. I got to go change. See ya. Bye. Hey, do you know how to read? I don't know how to read, but I heard Playtime has a new bi-weekly online kink magazine. It's called Play Zine. Yeah, I heard if I knew how to read, I could read about different fetish lifestyles, events, entertainment, and news. I guess I gotta go to the Playtime website to practice my reading skills.